Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Saddlecast. Myself, Ollie, and Glyn, you're back. Um, so yeah, hope you're feeling better, mate. Yeah, hope you're not too disappointed I'm back, Ollie. But I am back, yes. And um, yeah, yeah, bit of a weird weird couple of weeks, really, for us on the podcast. Obviously, I missed my first Saddlecast for a very long time, didn't I? And um, yeah, uh, and I was unwell last week. So yeah, Mike stood in and you both did a fantastic job covering the game last week. But yeah, not a great week to come back to, Ollie, because Taron have been pretty atrocious this week. So yeah, not the most uh, analysis from us this week because it's a fairly depressing situation in terms of trying to break those games down. But we're going to approach it a little bit differently this week to sort of run through the games a bit quicker, I think, aren't we? Yeah, we are. So we'll cover the Oxford and the Doncaster games pretty briefly. And then we're going to cover some themes, got some really good questions um, from, from from people on Twitter. I've um, mm. done a bit of analysis on some of the recruitment and minutes played and a few things like that. And then, yeah, we'll look ahead. We'll also look ahead to the remainder of the season as well, do a bit of review of the next last six games and see how many points we might get. So, yeah, we're going to be as brief as possible and on these Oxford and Doncaster <laughs> games because, let's be honest, it's pretty grim. Um, oh, but let's start with a positive, mate. So, um, unfortunately, obviously, the gaffers um, had COVID about three months ago now. Um, and he, so good news, he's had his first vaccine. So that's a really positive. Um, and we're told that he's getting stronger. He's doing exercises, building up his strength. Um, and Brian said there may be even be a chance that he might come and watch a game before the end of the season. So that's good mm. news, isn't it, Glenn? Yeah, it's continuing his recovery. I think adding to the to the good news we had previously about him, him coming back. So I, I hope he gets back as soon as possible, like all town fans. And um, seems like he's on that road to recovery. Personally, I, I don't. I'd like to have not seen him come back. I'd like him to take the extra recuperation time um, and you know come back a little bit later next season, start next season into pre-season, and just you know make sure he's right, a hundred percent right to to not let um, some of those longer term COVID issues affect him into next year. But I don't know the way we're playing at the moment. I feel like it's forcing him back a little bit, Ollie. You know, it's he won't want to see us drift like we have done these last couple of games. He'll want to come back and stand on that touchline, even if he's not really one hundred percent you know ready to do it, just to stop the you know the little bit of a slide we're, we're kind of hitting now. I guess. Yeah, fingers crossed we would be okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. We're not mathematically safe, are we? So that's probably going to be playing on his mind a little bit. So yeah, fingers mm. crossed the gaffer will be um, be back soon. And yeah, fingers crossed next season he can be ready for pre-season. Like I literally cannot wait for Matt to start posting those summer pictures um, of the gaffer <laughs> organising and doing his you know his stuff on the on the training ground. Which may, may, might give you some hope that we might be able to score a goal or two. So yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Well, if those photos show Raquel Pike front and centre, I won't be overly excited, Ollie, because uh, we probably won't have recruited like we wanted to, but I suspect not. Yeah, it's always a good time of the year, isn't it, when the, when the rebuild starts? And I think, you know, as we move on towards the end of this podcast, past these two games, the rebuild is potentially, for most fans now, you know, a lot of fans want this rebuild to be significant now, don't they, rather than just tinkering around the edges. It was already going to be pretty big because of all the people out of contract, but I think even people who are, who are sort of under contract are maybe coming under fire as well. So, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting, Ollie. Um, and, and I suppose in terms of you know, we talked about it being a bit negative this week, you know, in terms of the results and you know, I've just sat and watched the Grand Prix. I haven't watched any Premiership football today, but you know, the breaking news it, it, from sort of Sky Sports on my phone pops up, and yeah, it seems like a European Super League heads towards you know a more likely scenario um, week by week, doesn't it? And now our top six teams in this country have signed up to it, which you know seems a very distant thing from Shrewsbury Town, doesn't it? At the end of the day, but the the long-reaching impacts of something like that on English football and a club like ourselves are staggeringly vast, and you know, a concerning moment in I think English football that we we really need to pay attention to, isn't it? Yeah. You know, teams like Man United and Liverpool now are, are not football clubs for me. It's just a brand. You might as well have you know Coca Cola wear a Coca Cola t shirt or a KFC t shirt because that's effectively what you're supporting. You're supporting mm. a franchise, a club that's sometimes on the stock market, owned by a billionaire. 
you're not supporting <laughs> a football club. Um, it's just a brand. Um, and yeah, what this, what basically what they were trying to do here was trying to leverage and get more money from the Champions League because that's what all these guys are in. They're trying to reduce competition, stop things, stop events like Leicester and Atlanta and Ajax happening in the Champions League again, um, and try and make it a closed shop. So I just pray that. Um, these clubs like Liverpool and Man United just leave English football and then we can reset and yeah maybe there'll be less money but we just pay less wages I don't really it's an absolute fallacy to suggest that more money more money now doesn't mean the football's necessarily better than it was like five ten years ago so yeah I'd much rather watch a Premier League where you've got teams like Leeds or you know Sheffield United or a Leicester or you know Mm. Everton fighting for the title you might have four teams in the last few weeks fighting for the title rather than you know, there isn't title races anymore in England. It's an, to say that the Premier League is competitive is an absolute fallacy. No, I think that's a good a good summary, Ollie. I totally agree with you. If it's going to happen, I don't want them playing any part of English no, football. I don't even I don't want them to say for England, to be honest. Even yeah, if that makes them like the yeah. of, um, with the rugby, even if that makes England less competitive, um, I think just everything we can do to try and yeah, and, and yeah, when they've gone, they can stop the threats and we can reform English football. So yeah, I think I've said my say on that. I think my view's quite no. clear. I think it's good. I think that mo- it seems from the initial responses that the Italians, the Spanish, the French are all kind of signed up to the same level of thinking that they'll ban people from their domestic competitions. So it's good there's a bit of unity there, but who knows what will happen when it push comes to shove. And I, I, I really don't like the idea of it. And this fundamentally, you know, a European breakaway Super League does not give Shrewsbury Town or any league, EFL team solidarity payments. You know, that money is going straight into those clubs with very little, you know, share between anyone outside the Super League. You know, for all its ills in the Premiership, we do get some crumbs off the table. I'd rather some crumbs off a table than, you know, the table being moved into a different galaxy. I'd, no, I'd, I'd rather go the other way. Just let them completely go. Like, you know, they can. Oh, Man yeah. United fans can, can carry on supporting KFC and whoever they want to support. And then whatever money comes into the English league will be negotiated as a, you know, almost like as an EFL. So, and then you can just. Because another thing is that's ruining football as well is that the, the desire to get in the Champions League is to championship. The Premier League is so high that Reading spend over 200% of their income on wages. Mont- so, yeah. if we can level it all out, it should be better for everyone. Um, well, I think it's a story we're going to have to track yeah. over the summer, aren't we, while we're on our recess, uh, which is not too far away now, is it, Ollie? So, um, yeah, something that's going to rumble on, I think, before we get to, to 2022 23. So, yeah, just interesting. Probably the, the biggest breaking news in football this week, I suppose. But we'll focus back a little bit now. We will run through the two games in this next section Ollie, and we'll do them back to back and quite quickly and then we'll, we'll do the questions clicked on towards Lauren who's made that his this could seal it for 3-1 Lauren can he finish no he can't Akinabere he can Salford hopes are dashed in stoppage time so the first game this week we will quickly run through was a terrible night uh, in Oxford where we lost 4-1 uh, Chapman got our goal but they scored four um, Atkinson Lee Taylor and Long late on on 77 to lose 4-1 um, and yeah we've, we've got a pretty shit record at Oxford <laughs> let's be honest about it Ollie um, we haven't won there uh, since Boxing Day 2014 which I think I did go to um, so yeah it's it's a long way it's a long time since we beat Oxford and we, we didn't look like beating them on this game did we so there we go let's just go through the, the team selection before we get into this, this a bit of this game but um, go on who, who played Ollie? So yeah Sarsu's in goal again the same back three that we've seen for a while so Pennington, Ebanks and Williams and Lovett came back from injury, and then we had the the deadly trio in midfield trio, sorry, with um, Avella, Davis, and Norburn, <laughs> and then Obetta, and then Chapman and Main. So I think for mean takeaway, Glenn, from that was, oh, do we have to have Vela, Davis, and Norburn in the middle three again? Because between the three of them, like Vela's probably the most likely to do a forward pass, but Norburn hasn't got a forward pass in him at the moment, it seems, and Davis ain't much better in terms of you know being a play, playmaker. He's more of a bit of a battler. 
It was frightening. I can't remember the game. We did it the first time, and it was rubbish. We, we went on to do pretty poorly, and then I think I think it was the game Norburn got injured, and things turned around, yeah. didn't they? But it was pretty clear those three as central, central midfielders is not the answer, and this game nailed it. I never, ever, ever want to see those three playing central midfield together again. It is the most negative, um, boring football, and Norburn's out of form now. I would go beyond saying he hasn't got a forward touch. I don't think he's playing very well at all. He's His form has completely nosedived, maybe since Cottrell's gone. Um, and as a club captain, you know he, he offers absolutely no leadership. So for, for, for me, the three of them, you know, Vela's had a reasonably good season, probably get player of the season. Davis has just come into the team and obviously played right back in the next game, which we'll talk about. I think of the three of them, the one that's letting us down the most at the moment. And uh, and you know we talked about this maybe last season a bit as well. Ollie is Norburn. I, I just think it's a it's a shame really where he's where he's gone at the moment. And um, he's not out of contract. He's got no excuse. Yeah, he he's doing that thing where he's tapping the ball on the top again, which is always oh, yeah. a clear indication that he's got no confidence. Um, and the number of times, particularly in the Doncaster game, he could have made a forward pass and he didn't. Um, it's really, really frustrating. Um, and yeah, that's a theme that we're seeing at the moment. Um, mm. But again, there's another theme this week. So we actually started this game, I thought, quite brightly, um, but we never looked like we were going to score. Um, and then, Do yeah, you know, 13 minutes into the game, Oxford have a corner. You know, we don't really get too worried about corners at the moment, or should I say we weren't. Um, mm. Corner comes in. Um, a rare set piece of goal against us, poor market, um, and 1 0 down. And yeah, Oxford are absolutely flying at the moment. They obviously thrashed Accrington Stanley. That came into mind as soon as I scored after 13 minutes for me. Yeah, they got six, didn't they, the yeah. game before? And as soon as they got one, I thought, uh oh, <laughs> where's this going? Especially with <laughs> this could, to score. Uh... <laughs> this could be embarrassing. Um, and it did. It, well, it, to be honest with you, this result went on to be embarrassing. It's funny, so at corners, we, we obviously haven't had too many problems conceding from corners over the course of the season in general. I would say that's been a positive. But, you know, when you're playing three unit centre backs, you shouldn't really be conceding many from corners. But another talk about patterns over the week, really, because I think these are the things to cover is. Our ability at attacking corners is shocking at the moment. It's been shocking most of the season, yeah. but we had a fair few corners against Oxford, um, not, not as many as maybe other games, but against um, uh, uh, Doncaster on um, Saturday, I think we had like upwards of, of 10, maybe 13 corners, and I don't think we threatened we nine. From one of them. Yeah, nine, there and you go. Okay, Chapman so was, was woeful. Utterly woeful. woeful. Yeah. Like We thought that bringing Chapman in to take set pieces would be an improvement on Wally's awful front man <laughs> headed away corners. In general, it, they've been so bad, haven't they? And so, yeah, just a, just something I've noticed this week. Something, again, if you can or should be able to eliminate some of that by, by coaching. And clearly, we're not having Cottrell around and him not being able to get into them at the moment with the, with the corners maybe as a part of it is that. But um, yeah, definitely a, a massive area of weakness, set pieces at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, we were lucky to lucky um, that Taylor kind of fluffed his lines. Norbert loses the ball in midfield and Oxford nearly score and counter. Um, but then they scored again um, in this half, across from the right, really poor marking from Shrewsbury. A bit of deflection, but it caught us out. But it's really weird. It caught all our players out, but all their players didn't. Sars had absolutely no chance. Poor marking from Williams. And yeah, 2-0 at half-time. Um, not not ideal. Um, second half starts. Um, a good bit of play from Shrewsbury, actually. Probably the best moment at the highlight of the game from Shrewsbury's perspective. Vela out to Ogbetta, a deep cross, knocked down from an Oxford defender, so not great from his perspective. Um, Chapman does a really good bit of controlling, um, and then, yeah, a good finish there. So that was a decent bit of play there um, from Chapman. 
Yeah, right. You know, not surprised it involved our three best players since Christmas. You know, Vela, Ogbetta, and then Chapman scores. Christ knows where we'd be without those three players at the moment, Oli, because I suspect it might be a little bit worse than uh, the battling for 17th, 18th, and 19th when I stuck in. But yeah, you know, that was about the only good moment in the game, wasn't it? And um, yeah, you know, you, you always think once you get back to 2 1, there's a chance, but Oxford just took another step forward, didn't they? And obviously scored a couple of goals in quick order and put the game put, put the game to bed, really. And I never really felt like we were in much. I don't think we created any big chances between our second our first goal and their third. I don't think there was a you know a moment where we could have got level was there. So nothing that really stood out. And to be honest with you, we don't we don't create all that many good chances anyway, do we at the moment? So um, yeah, no, it, was a, it was a matter of time until they got their third, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we just yeah. The, what if we don't if the opposition score first, the game's not over, but pretty much over. The chance of us coming back to win is pretty much um, nil. I think we've done it against Sunderland. That's about it um, this season. Very poor. I did have a laugh though during the game when um, I, I felt quite bad for Stu Dunn and, and Mark Elliott over the last couple of games when we've we've had these really bad performances because you know it's part of their job to kind of make it sound a bit better I think than it can be sometimes because it's you know the local team and get behind them and all that but I, I did laugh at half time against Oxford where Dunny was saying well you know we're trying to make it sound positive Town have had a lot of the ball and I went and had a look at half time we had thirty six percent possession <laughs> so you know there's there's trying to trying to uh, paint things in a slightly brighter colour than they were but um, yeah there were very few positives at half time and, and I say they got the next two goals didn't they you can run through them if you want or even once they got to 4-1 there was no there was no positives really from the night as far as I was concerned no it was poor so Love makes a poor decision he tries to go past a man when he could have just laid it off it was really poor decision making um, Norman got completely flat footed uh, and then just run past him and then a super pass from Henry god I wish wish we had someone who could do a pass like that and then Taylor mm. smashes home so two things we just don't have someone that can actually make a decent pass um, yeah, I saw you. Obviously, you were talking about BBC Shropshire there, Glenn. I thought Lewis Cox was overly positive about the performance as well on on Saturday, oh, okay. and he's always kind of raving about Chapman. But I haven't seen Chapman make a pass like Henry once in his, his time he's been here. Um, still no assists. Still no assists, and for a number ten, frankly, that's just not good enough. Um, yes, he hasn't got a striker to pass to. Um, potentially, you could maybe argue that, but still, it's not overly good. And then, yeah, then we conceded again from a set piece, so we lose our men during the flight of the ball. Header saved, and then Salah were too slow to clear the lines. And that was one thing that, but Cottrell did fix in England. We were much better at kind of reacting to things, whether it was penalties or set pieces. Um, mm. And then, kind of sums up our game. Chapman fluffs his lines. He can't get a shot on. He actually loses the ball. Goss has a shot. Then Chapman hits the post, and yeah, I think. Like their manager and our manager um, said that you know four one kind of flattered them, but actually it probably didn't. They were efficient and, and clinical with their chances. Yeah, but they thoroughly deserved a resounding win. Yeah, four one three one. You know five two. I, much of a muchness, wasn't it? We were definitely second best. We definitely deserved to lose the game. Um, it wasn't something we could really take much out of it and it started the question didn't it now you know we're pretty much safe 50 points we can talk about the fact we lost two games this week but you know the people start to come back to it I mean I, I said that it was an embarrassing night I thought it was in terms of the level of performance Um, you know the, la- the last goal for me kind of pointed out more than anything it was about desire wasn't it you know a battle in the box it's loose who wants to scrap there first who wants it more we were just left lacking weren't we and I think you know there was an argument that you could say some of our big players that night you know if you want to use the phrase on the beach or not, that's up to you. But they definitely didn't have their mind on the game as much as I think they would have done when we were doing that save ourselves run where they would have run through brick rolls, they would have flew, flew into everything and they were just getting those little edges that were winning us those games 1-0. At the moment, they're so far off they were during that good run. Um, it was bloody rubbish, to be honest with you, Ollie. And um, yeah, not, not a good result for me at all. No, not a good result. Um, I really struggle for top three in this one. I went for Chapman because mm. 
he scored a goal and he had that shot. And then Sarsic, because he made a few changes, I didn't put anyone third because I don't think there was anyone warranted third. Yeah, I mean, I give Sarkic's man of the match because uh, when I look back through, through Twitter and I was looking at the highlights again, he made actually two or three good saves. One of them was a one-on-one. If you remember, they broke away and he did really well on that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I had to give him man of the match even though he conceded four, which is a bit bonkers, isn't it? Um, Chapman, yeah, like you gave him first. <clears throat> I went Chapman second um, and I, I gave Ogbet a third. I thought he wasn't as bad in, in this game as he was on Saturday, but he was... He was I don't know, maybe I'm just being a bit generous and I wanted to give a third, maybe I shouldn't have done, but yeah, there not really much to dis- to describe that off on, um, to be honest with you. And and the last thing on this game, really, I suppose, that frustrated fans was lack of substitutions again, Ollie. Waited until I think it was 80 minutes to make any changes, even though we were 3-1 down, and it was just frustrating, that, isn't it, at the moment? Again, the whole thing about subs. Yeah, there's got to be something in it. Mm. There's got to be something in that. Um, there's a fundamental change, significant change from before where we'd make subs... Um, I don't know. It just seems like something, something's off. Something's changed. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to make up rumours or make something up. But something has changed because our performances have changed. Subs have changed. There's lots of changes. And results are poor. Um, but yeah, uh, not not good. But anyway, let's 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 close this one down and and look at look after Rovers, Glenn. So, what was the score and who scored for Rovers? Yeah, we lost two 0 at home to Doncaster Rovers, and yeah, this guy called uh, Okinabiri, I think. I'm not sure where he yeah. comes from. I think um, he's played non-league football in his career. Um, look quality, to be fair. Sort of player I wish we'd go and have a look at next time the transfer window's open. But I suspect we wouldn't be able to get him off Doncaster. But he looked class, to be fair, the whole game. And um, yeah, he scored the first goal, and then Richards scored the second goal. So. 2-0 loss at home to Doncaster, um, who, let's be honest about it, we haven't done any stats this week because it's all a bit depressing, but to say they were in a bad run, Ollie, would be an underestimate, wouldn't it? They are probably the worst team in the league at the moment in terms of form before they played us, and we could not have rolled the red carpet out any more for them to kind of get off their bad run. And again, not a 4-1 loss, but equally poor result for me, this one, um, compared to, to the Oxford result. Yeah, as you know, Glenn often do that kind of pre-match thing, don't know why. It's kind of a bit of looking at what's going on and look how the opposition are. And I don't think I've ever seen a team in such poor form. So, yeah, so they were bottom <laughs> of the form table. Um, they are 20 from the way table anyway. And their manager, Andy Butler, had an 18% win ratio. So we really, really should have been beating them. Obviously, they lost also their head of recruitment, Adam Henshaw. So um, as a as a really good blog blogger I, I, I chat to, who's a Doncaster Rovers fan, and he said, basically, they're a mess on and off the pitch. So we should have been beating Doncaster because we actually had something to play for. And it just shows you how abysmal our players were. And they should be really fucking ashamed of themselves for this performance. It was fucking shit. You were... (laughs) You sent us a message, didn't you, on our little Twitter chat we have, and it was like, I've just spoke to a Doncaster fan. We should definitely be winning today. They're a total shambles. I thought, Ollie, it's too early for this. No, so but I was always careful with my words. I said, we should, not that we yes, will. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I was very confident after you texted me that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't warranted, was it? And, you know, you talk about Andy Butler, their manager with a terrible oh my record, God. you know. This guy's 37, isn't he, right? I think he's 37, something like that. And he's like, you know, he's in interim charge of Doncaster. He picked himself to start this yeah. game, Ollie, and we didn't. He like bossed us. Well, how the did, whole how game, did he not this get booked? A question: <laughs> How did he not get booked? He gave away four well, or five yeah. cynical yellow card fouls and didn't get booked. I don't know if the referee was scared of booking him or something. Yeah. But anyway, just before we get into the the lineup, <laughs> there was a um, yeah. The lineup was a bit a bit different. So we had Ebanks, um, Landall, Williams, and and um, Pennington into central defence, or better left wing back Sarsic and goal. A, a new, I think, is we up to like. 11 or 12 now players that have played right back or right wing back for us. So Davis yep. there, and Norburn and Velo midfield. And then we had, everyone's excited about this, Wally and Chapman in the same lineup with a doe. Um, but it's fair to say um, pretty much everyone 
I'd say maybe a couple of players I thought probably maybe did okay. I thought Chapman, Davis. Let's do the top threes now, Glenn, actually. Let's do it all completely Can't the way around. Right, yeah. So I put Chapman, Pennington and Davis because I thought that they then I see you've got another man in there. I'd say, yeah, they're the only four players for me that kind of come away with any kind of, can have any, I wouldn't even call it pride, but shouldn't be utterly ashamed of themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough, actually. It's interesting, Ollie. I looked at your Twitter account earlier on before we started recording, and you gave Pennington. You I know. said you listed out a load of players, and you said uh, all of these players could not have had more than a four out of ten on the day, and you've given Pennington second man of the match. So I'm assuming that everybody else got two. Well, I watched it back. I thought Pennington was at fault for. I thought Pennington was the one that came flying in um, on the on the second goal, but it wasn't. It was actually Ebanks. And I watched a bit back, and actually um, Pennington wasn't as bad, and he actually tried to try and pass the ball a little bit. So I was a bit harsh there on Pennington. So I apologise to, to Mr. <laughs> Pennington, um, and I shouldn't have had him on that on that summary. Uh, summary. I thought it was funny, but I can't disagree with you, you men too much. Really, you went for Chapman first. I, I gave him my third place. Um, he wasn't hugely impressive. Still, he probably was only a five or a six out of ten. That's saying something. Um, but for me, I, you know, interestingly, pre-match we had a discussion. We'll just go back to team selection, I suppose, that runs into this. But you know, I think a lot of people were quite excited when they saw the team listed without knowing what formation we we're going to play. Saw a few people kind of saying, "Oh, actually, it looks like we're going to play four at the back, maybe, and go go for it against a team that are in absolute." poor form and then suddenly we line up and Dave Davis is playing right back and we're still we're still with the five at the back against um, a, a team in terrible form at home which you might have expected if we were ever going to let go of that five at the back of this this might have been the game but it wasn't to be I'd say something about Davis I, I was so sceptical about it it was so bonkers because you got you had love on the bench and you had um, Sears and obviously they've had their injury issues and you obviously had Walker on the bench who's played right wing back this season but give the nod to Davis actually he didn't do too bad to be honest with you he got forward a fair bit a few times yeah, he didn't really get mugged off too many times down the right I think it was one time when they went past him so I was so sceptical about it I actually ended, <laughs> ended up giving him man of the match so yeah he was my man of the match Chapman third and then I, my other man not Pennington um, was, was Sarkic who I thought again made some good saves at certain times came out was pretty pretty good in the air with all the crosses that we were dealing with but you know you know, probably a 5 out of 10 again still um, none, none of those players we've listed there were really better than 6 out of 10 were they let's be honest no, about it not at all no. um, and this is the shortest this is the shortest agenda we've had for a game we've ever had um, so there's literally like seven lines. So I thought we started okay. We dominated the first half. But again, linking back to BBC Shropshire and Lewis Cox, we never, ever looked like we were going to score. Um, we dominated possession, but I couldn't convince me we were going to score. We, and Wally had a dribble and shoots over. Um, really selfish play from Wally overall, I thought. Um, actually, I'm going to give you the stat now, Glenn. So in this game, I thought Wally was quite selfish in this game. And I look back and he averages about 4.5 dribbles a game. In this mm. game, he had 11. Oh, right. Um, and for me, there was just multiple times he was particularly selfish. Um, and there was a bit of a, I don't know if you saw it, there was a bit of like a, there was a bit of a theme, a kind of a low-level theme going around um, Twitter on Saturday. Um, and that players are now playing for themselves. We're not playing as a team anymore. And it's me, me, me. Because I'd say, actually, Pennington and Chapman, for me, were the, probably the best outfield players in terms of actually trying to make things happen. And that's why I put Chapman number one. Yeah, I'd have criticised his lack of assist and his normal play, but he actually tried to play some football on Saturday. Everyone else was, was poor, and some players in particular, and I highlight Worley, I thought were playing for himself on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I'm surprised you were that glowing about Chapman in some respects. I thought, like Watching Wally, the highlights back again he, sometimes he, can... He, 
Yeah. yeah, like on the day, I'm yeah, just giving my view of it, is like that he has now stopped entirely looking for the pass when he's got any shot from 30 yards out. And it, it, that is actually a bit of a frustration because he had a lot of pops that were, were one was at top, one was on target, a few were wide, weren't they? But, you know, it felt a little bit to me like, Ollie, when you talk about me, 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 that Chapman and Wally both know they're the only ones that can be top goal scorer this season. And if a chance comes, you know, to them that's even, like a, 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 you know, 99% chance missed, they're going to shoot, even though a pass might be a better option to keep the move going because both of them would just shoot at will, wouldn't they, whenever they got the chance? And I agree with Wally. You just kept running, 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 and lose it, and yeah, I thought it was a little bit of a, a, a sort of a, a goal, top goal scorer hunt going on there between the two of them. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Glenn, I said you know I posted on Twitter that what um, the, um, who scored always do pros and strengths and weaknesses of the team. Shrewsbury had no strengths again, and it just for me just sums up <laughs> how poor we were. That yeah, it was just we were poor to a man um, across the whole pitch and. Basically, most players on who scored. So, yeah, Williams got 5.9. Um, Ebank Standard got 5.6. Um, Odo got 6.2. You know, everyone was in Jeez. the sixes. It was really poor. I, I think a good thing that Stag sort of showed me where we're at at the moment was that we had a free kick that was like basically up near the corner flag in the first half, I think it was. Um, we line it up. We send everybody forward into the box, right? So, there's a couple of centre-backs go up. Free kick. It goes back, sort of, you know, off, away from the box to Vela, who's outside the box. He takes a touch, looks backwards to Norburn, who's halfway towards the halfway line. He takes a touch. It's an awful touch. He loses it, and they break on us. And I thought, hey, you know, something like that. It's just, it's very poor, isn't it, to be letting them get chances from our own attacking free kicks, particularly when you send everybody up. Why you'd never put it in the box, God only knows. And we're not, we're not good enough to be able to craft clever free kicks. We can't even do it from the first point. So, um, yeah, that kind of, that kind of subbed up, sub, summed it up for me really. And I was going to ask you, Ollie, you know. Every every time Faze come to play against us, you know, it just I don't know, like things like this make us losing Faye make us look like losing Faye was one of the worst decisions in the last five years in terms of a transfer transfer policy. I know they wanted to, we've always talked about this, they wanted to make a bit of money out of it, didn't they? And we couldn't probably have kept him, but you know, to have not tied him up to a longer deal or something when he clearly had a knack for scoring in this division was a massive mistake. Wasn't yeah, it? if he he'd been playing and he was like, right, you're our star striker and you can, we're going to keep playing you until you get a, a championship move, whatever. And he, I'm sure he would have signed a contract. Like, no, no disrespect to Doncaster, I can't really imagine that Doncaster offering him that much more money. So I'm sure he would have stayed. Of, and he maybe it would have been a bit closer to London. I'm sure he would have stayed with us. Um, but the fact is that some Ricketts didn't rate him because he's a bit clueless. And then also, you know, he did that terrible thing where he just brought him on in extra time for no reason. Was it away at Bradford? And obviously that was the final straw, I presume. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, if we had, if we had a real genuine striker in this team, it would make a huge difference. As you you know, as you mentioned virtually every week now, and I'm sure your board has mentioned it, you know, the lack of movement from our strikers um, is really poor. And as you say, you know, give him a chance and he'll score. And he scored his 13th goal of the season against us, where Williams took a throw, Ebanks fell over, slipped, and it was 1-0. I wouldn't be surprised if all of our strikers, you know, all the strikers we've got in our books, if you don't include Wally and Chapman because they're not strikers, you know, technically they're not they're not strikers, are they, at the end of the day? If you round up, you know, all the goals scored by Cummings, um, Pike, uh, Maine, um, Clark, whoever strikers were this year, I think it's one I've just missed off the list. Between all of those strikers, they haven't scored 13 goals. There's no way. And Faye's got that many himself in, in, on his own. And I know it needs the service and all that sort of thing, but just shows you, doesn't it, how many levels we are below on forwards. And, um, yeah, there we go. And, and, and if we talk about forwards, we'll probably move on from this game fairly quickly, Ollie. But um, I have to say, and this is going to sound really harsh, and I've been hard on him this season at certain times, I thought that Daniel Lado was stealing a living at the weekend. He could not have affected a game less than he did on Saturday. 
all he does is hold the ball up and knock it back now. He has no no impact on a game other than that. And I, and I was I thought it was I thought it was an embarrassing performance from him. Um, I could say it was about an embarrassing performance about a few of our other players, Norburn particularly, um, Wally as well, diving around all over the place, embarrassing himself. You know, there was a few players who really wound me up. And I think it's going to. I don't know whether we've got a question about this later on about you know would you really be that sad to lose some of these players. Um, you know, for me, I wouldn't be now. Um, this this period is going to be pretty defining for them. And on the basis of this week, if you were playing for a contract or whatever, some of them have just t- talked talked themselves out of a deal, I reckon, because they've just not showed that commitment we still need and fans want to see. Well, that's what I put in my end of game summary. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah turn the TV off as soon as I could, and then just yeah, went out went out in the sun and took the dog for a walk to a nice common area, um, like a park area. And yeah, for me, if, if if this was a game that they were trying to audition for a new contract or to be a part of the team next year. Are the clear indication for me is that they don't want to be here. Mm. And on players who had a shocker, Ollie, I want to mention this as well. You know, the questions out there: what what's happened to Rashawn Williams? The the kid was great when he first came in, solid, strong. You know, wasn't the best passer, but did well enough on it, didn't he? You know, he was he was solid like that. Would win headers, pacey, quick. His his form in the last two months, particularly, has been shocking, and and I don't know why. You know, I've, I listed a few things on Twitter. You know, is he just low on confidence? Has he got his head in what's going to happen in the summer, and whether he's already got another move lined up and he doesn't want to get injured? Is it the coaching without a manager? Is he is he a young lad that needed that day to day management from your actual gaffer? Is it the fact he's been played out of position on the left side more often than not when he's clearly not comfortable there? To me, yeah, maybe it's a combination of all those things. I find it odd that a player that was so exceptional for us for a good period of time is now been off his form for a very long time. Like, Norman comes off his form, but then he has a good three or four or five games, and then you think, oh, yeah, there is something there. With Williams now, we, we haven't seen it for a while, have we? No, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Williams has gone. He's, he seems a shadow of his form mm. himself. I think playing... Um, his, his distribution's never been very good, and playing on that left Shocking side, I think, moment. makes him really poor. And, and as you was going to mention here, obviously, he comes off at half-time, doesn't he, for Walker, who, who starts one, then has a mare himself. So... Yeah, so Walker came on. I thought he did all right, and then there's a really nice bit of play from from and Pennington. Well. Um, we pass it to Chapman, who does a really nice bit of one-two with what better and Davis. So that was a nice bit of play, but that was about it, to be honest. Then the second goal, Walker gets has his pocket picked. Ebanks <laughs> flies in like a some kind of like a like a cruise missile, takes the player out. Um, he misses the ball and the man, and then a superb finish from Richards. That was an amazing finish, to be fair. Um, and and that was exactly how you knew it was going to happen, didn't you, watching that game? They were eventually going to put one of their counter-attacks together and they were going to kill us off. And that was exactly what happened. I, I think I tweeted it on like minute minute 60-odd and it was, it, was, it was bound to happen. They just had much more quality in those attacking positions when they countered and um, and that was it really. But yeah, it was a really good finish. I thought he was great, that Richards, actually. Yeah, I, meant to, I was gonna, I meant, meant, to, meant to tweet it a couple of times during the game, but I got annoyed and found something to moan about. But um, yeah, I thought he was he was probably one of their better players during the game. Um, sort of player I hope we could look at trying to get a bit of that quality next year. But yeah... There we go. We're no shots on target as usual, really, did we during the whole game? And then the only real positive, if you're looking at positives, is Charlie Caton came on 15 minutes and he got a 15 minute ex- ex- examination of what it's like to be a huge potential striker. Go stand up there, lad. Run around a bit. No one's going to pass it to you. Um, if the ball comes and you could control it, that'd be great. Um, other than that, yeah, that's all you do as a huge potential striker nowadays. So he got a good education about how playing up front for us. Well, it's he? funny because you private <laughs> message saying, has he, has he touched the ball? And I said that, yeah, Walker had kicked the ball at him in the box. And I oh, felt so sorry for him. You know, this is his dream debut and he's playing with that, that lot. And yeah, it's not fair that, like, you know, a lot of senior pros um, let themselves down in terms of, yeah, his, his, his debut and didn't give him a sniff, bless him. He had 13 minutes or something like that and he didn't yeah. really have the chance to do anything, did he? 
No, it wasn't the Tom Bradshaw type debut at Crewe where he got those goals, didn't he, and, and changed the game. But um, I, let's be honest, at least he got a chance. He looks like he's ahead of Main and, and Pe- Pike in the pe- pecking order, which is something I can fully get behind. I'd like to see a lot more of him. And, you know, hopefully that is a sign of what will happen in these next few weeks that we won't see some of those players that are clearly not good enough or not wanted or are not going to be here next season. Let's give Kate a go. Let's get Barney a couple of games at right wing back once we're safe. Let's maybe play Sears at centre back and see if he can actually do it next season, Ollie. Let's, you know, maybe play that um, Lewis Dubry that's been called up for international national football and see what he's all about for a game or two and why not if, the, if they're going to play like they played this week the senior pros I've, I've no no harm I think, don't think it's harsh at all to start playing some of the young lads for a bit longer because you know they'll try at least I imagine and, and at least they'll put the effort in because it means something to them yeah. no definitely so let's close this one off um, so yeah what did he say what the manager um, Wilbraham say system manager he said yeah really good first half but can't legislate for Ebank slitting first half really good but um, I don't quite believe him. Um, second half, more of the same. The message we drove the game, but we couldn't get going in the struggle in the second half. Um, and then, yeah, then obviously he was talking about that Goss had a hamstring and Pike had a calf injury. And he said Charlie deserved the chance he can get. Looks like a proper player, good finisher and one for the future. And I was chatting to Lewis Cox quite a bit after the game later on and chatting about all sorts of different things. And one of the things that I said to is I'd love um, to have a chat with um, Aaron Wilbraham over a couple of pints and a couple of pints in his system <laughs> and get his honest opinion because he's he can't he's not going to come out and slate the players because there's no real value in doing that let's be honest it's not going to achieve us anything it's not going to achieve him anything um so yeah these platitudes are, are fine They're like I can't blame the guy but I would love to hear what him and Steve Cotter would have to say I'd love it if I could join one of their zoom calls and see what they say because I imagine it'd be pretty brutal well, we we got Sam Rickis on at the start of this season. Oh, you never know. We might ask the, if you ask your mate Brian the right questions. We might get to speak to Aaron. I, I'm not sure that uh, old uh, Steve will be ever wanting to come on the podcast, but you never know. Aaron's done podcasts before, and we might be able to get a chance to talk to him. Ollie. And if we buy a couple of pints, we might. might he's be, not going nice to say what summer. we want to hear, though, is he? Or what we expect? <laughs> Who knows? But, um, Once the players are gone, he could slag them off. For all we know, it'd be it's brilliant. But, awful, yeah. but yeah, let's close that game down. We've had loads of questions and some good um, stuff to get it tucked into. Um, so let's let's close this these two games off. Yeah, uh, we conceded what was it six goals in a week, no points, nil point, um, and yes, um, yeah, looked uh, league table doesn't look good. Let's put it that way. It doesn't. Uh, I'm literally still 100% convinced we can't get relegated. We definitely there's two teams now that can't catch us. So for the us probability is really low, but I still still want it to be mathematically safe. Yeah, which brings us, I suppose, maybe let's move on to that next bit then, because we've got a couple of questions and we'll go through those a bit now. But a bit further on, you've got a, a section where you wanted to look at those next games, Ollie. And in it, yeah, you've, you've, you've said you want to have a look at it now. So I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put a break in here and then we'll come into looking at the next few games and, and see what we think about how many games we'll win, Ollie. big chance, and he takes it. Fajiri Okanabire makes it 2 2. So, six games to go. And we thought we'd have a look at how many points think we're going to get left. So, yeah, thanks for those fans that kind of shared their opinions. So we'll share a couple of those. We'll do ours first, Glenn. So I predict that we're only going to win one game left of the season. We're going to get two draws. (laughs) So I think we'll lose to Wigan on Tuesday. We'll lose to Blackpool. We'll draw against Lincoln. We'll lose to Oxford again. We'll draw against Ipswich because they'll be completely gone by then. And I reckon we'll get a win against Crewe, a random win against those. So what did you go for? 
Yeah, I went for the same five points between now and the end of the season, just the one win and two draws. But I, I actually think just because of wounded pride and a, a fairly big bollocking on Monday, I can see us actually doing something against Wigan um, at home. I know we struggle against teams that sit back, but I actually don't think we can all sit back. I think they'll probably come and try and play some football against us because they're not doing that bad and they're slowly climbing the league. So it might be the sort of game we can be a bit better in than a, than a sitter back. But yeah, so I think that's the game we'll win. I think we'll beat Wigan, but I think we'll lose to Blackpool. We'll probably draw at home to Lincoln. Um, we'll definitely lose at home to Oxford because they bashed us up. Um, we'll definitely lose at home to Ipswich as well, I think, because I just think yeah we, we're not very good against the big clubs at the moment. And um, yeah, I think we'll probably end up getting a point against Crew on the final day in one of those dead rubber games, much like you know we played Coventry yeah. a few seasons back um, when it was nothing on the game, was there, and ended up being 1-1. And yeah, so that's it. So I think we'll end up on whatever we're on now. We're on fifty points. We'll end up on fifty-five points, which should be which should be miles safe, really. I should imagine at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I've gone for five points. But you, you've asked a bit wider, haven't you, Wally? In terms of some other fans, are we are we overly positive or overly negative? We're overly negative. Um, we both oh, got the shocking. lowest of anyone in the kind of put it in there. So a couple <laughs> of fans have filled it in. So real appreciate their their input. So yeah, so Thomas um, Corbett said um, he thinks they're going to get Wigan at nine points with two wins um, and only one defeat. And Chris Ellis has gone for eight points um, with two wins, um, two losses and two draws. Um, so he thinks it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, yeah, Kevin Nesbitt has gone for um, three wins. He's the most optimistic of all Shrewsbury Town fans who have contributed to this. He thinks, we'll, he, think, he thinks we'll beat Wigan, we'll beat Ipswich and we'll beat Crewe. Um, and then Andy, uh, Andy Garden has gone for, um, he thinks we'll get one win as well, but he's gone for one extra draw than us, Glenn, to give us six points, which... Yeah, it's, League One is a bit mad. We have no idea what's going to happen, but I thought it was a bit interesting that that should be enough, shouldn't it? Five points or ten points, as, as Kevin has put, will definitely make us make us safe. One one point te- will make us safe, I'm pretty sure, mathematically, because I think we just need that one more point to not be able to be caught by, I think, the third team in the in the bottom division. And then if you look at Northampton's run-in, Northampton are not going to win every game between now and the end of the season. They've got loads and loads of teams who are up the top of the table that are fighting for something. Yeah. So I, I already think you can discount Northampton for catching us. And I think one point means that, that that third third from the bottom team can't catch us either. I can't remember it is off the top of my head now. So... I don't even think you need five points. You probably need one point to keep us safe. 51 points will definitely step this season. So um, even if we completely fluffed everything, we'd get a point somewhere along the line, won't we? So, yeah, I mean, looking at that, there's no real patterns between which of those games people think will win. So it is just a bit of a toss-up, isn't it? You know, you're kind of estimating things. Um, you know, I, I can understand why people think we might win three games between now and the end of the season, but based on the last week, I, I can't see it. But, but, you know, if Cottrell suddenly pitched back up for those last two or three games, I could see an improved performance again, Ollie. So very much dependent on what happens with the manager, I suppose. But, um, yeah, thanks to everyone for their yeah. And, Thanks um, to um, we'll Cal, not Carl, for the question as well. So he said some tricky games coming up until the end of the season, mm. with most opponents having something to play for and town seemingly half on the beach. How many points do you think we could get? So yeah, thanks to Cal for that. That was that led us into doing the, the getting those um, inputs from the fans. So that was interesting. Half on the beach. <laughs> Fully buried yeah. in the beach, some of them, Ollie. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's good. I mean, we've had a few more questions, haven't we? We had um, the next one really is on pitch dimensions, yeah. which is unsurprising because it comes from our old Grando, uh, Grando, Andy Grando, um, Andrew Muir, um, who used to work at the football club for years and, and helped uh, co-edit the fanzine um, back in the day. Um, so he said, um, Ricketts brought in the dimension of the pitch um, by 10 yards in length and width at the start of this season. This is a tactic used by poor teams to try and negate better teams. Wolves did the same when he played for them in the Premiership. Has this hindered Steve Cottrell? 
it'll be interesting to see the size of the pitch next season. So, yeah, a bit of a hard one. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about what the pitch might be next season? Do you think we'll, we'll open it back up and Cottrell might play some more expansive football? Or, you know, are we going to stick with the close it all down and try and try and bore teams to death? I, I can't see that under Cottrell. Yeah, I'm not sure, because Sam Ricketts said that the dimensions that we went to was basically the same as like Anfield and a lot of other places. Now, I don't know the dimensions of all the other pitches, so it's hard to kind of say. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Steve Cottrell opens it up um, and yeah, try and take advantage of that extra space. Mm. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, it's hard to know how much of an effort that has. I mean, talking to Randy over the years, he thinks it can have quite an effect. If you're it's used to your own home, want to play with wingers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that when the next season starts. But um, yeah, obviously Ricketts did it with a with a thought in mind about closing teams down. I suppose during his period, the wins we did get at home were always tight, horrible, clustered affairs, weren't they? Like Sunderland when we beat them. So maybe it did work in that circumstance, but it didn't certainly didn't work enough, did it? Um, so yeah, that was a question. Thank you, Andy. Um, I think we've had a, a few more, haven't we? So yeah, um, Thomas, who gave us one of his predictions, was wanting to talk about the aim for next season, Ollie, because um, we're already sort of starting to cast our eyes towards that. Um, he's put that he thinks this one is a write-off now, um, and that's not changed. But let's say next season produces a twelfth to tenth place, but it's fairly dull. Should that be the aim, um, or the quality of football needs to improve? Would you think a finishing maybe fourteenth to sixteenth would be? So you know, before the recruitment's done, it's really difficult to pre- to predict anything about next season, isn't it, Ollie? But I don't know. Uh, what, you know talking now because Thomas asked the question, what are you thinking about next season? I'm really enthusiastic. Um, given how well Steve Cottrell has done in his time here, um, I'm 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 enthused to think that we might be able to be on the coattails of the playoffs. Now that that goes on the fact that you know are we going to be able to get a team together? Is the financial situation going to work and all that kind of that kind of yeah difficult points? But given um, you know Steve Cottrell's drive and his ambition. Um, and obviously having Keith Burton as well, who's you know was with him at Bristol City when they did so well. You know he doesn't seem to have built a bad squad at Cambridge, who are top of league too. Um, so yeah, that kind of those guys give me some confidence that maybe we can push on and have something to get excited about next season. Yeah, I just as a football club you want to improve, yeah. don't you? And at the moment it looks like this season actually will be one where we don't improve because um, we finished seventeenth last year, didn't we? When it got called off, obviously the season wasn't finished and we could easily have done what we're doing this season which is just drift away at the end and finish a couple of places above relegation but it doesn't feel like we've actually improved as a, as a, as a football team per se this season and by the end of it everyone's mostly out of, a lot of people are out of contract so we're not in a better position so I do feel like after the ASCII Ricketts era it, I, I, I was kind of talking to someone at the weekend about this it still feels a little bit like even though Steve's been here but because of him being away for Covid some of this still feels like we're in the Sam Ricketts era we are aren't we yeah it's not fully finished we completely are in the Sam Ricketts era which actually was kind of where my mindset was at this morning um, so I did so I looked at all the players that we signed um, in the summer so in the summer we signed loads of players so we signed Sarsich Charlie Daniels, Josh Daniels, Miller, High, Clark, Fossey, Pugh, Zambrek, Iliev, Tracy, and Pike. Now, the really yep. fascinating thing is, is that only is only actually Sarsic, Josh Daniels, um, and Pike who are left. Oh, and Leon Clark, who isn't registered, but he doesn't really count, does he? He's not registered. <laughs> so that that is he's definitely on the beach. That is. A, I'm going to swear again. So apologies to your mum, Glenn. But that was fucking <laughs> abysmal summer juice. Not one of those players. Only one of those players, Glenn, is in the top ten, and that's Sarsic. The rest are terrible. Mad. So you look at you got like you got players like Hyde played the average of eight less than eight games. Clark has played the average of less than seven games. And you add all his minutes up. Pike has played two hundred and forty-one minutes, and we gave him a three-year deal. So you were talking about legacy, Glenn. Yeah, the summer transfer window and also the prep summer preparation 
is huge. You, you can only say probably Matt Miller was a success and Charlie Daniels isn't too bad, but you look at the rest and, my God, he his recruitment was awful. And I did, I'll be honest with you, Glenn, I did send this to Brian and I said, if a manager ever talks about getting rid of a head of recruitment again, please think about this list. <laughs> and I won't repeat what he said to me, but it was in good humour. <laughs> Oh well, well, that's good. Maybe we'll be getting there. We'll be going in a different direction again. But it's interesting because, like, when you look at that list as well, you've got to remember that three of them weren't technically summer signings, were they? They were post summer. Oh my god, this season started Ships absolutely crap. Who's who? Can we get in at the last minute? And we find Charlie Daniels wants to get some football. Mark Pugh wants to get some football, and and then they came in and did a little bit of a job at the time. Um, and obviously, Matt Miller was available on loan, wasn't he? So you know, three three of them were kind of you know extra things we needed. I mean, Scott High, you know. You, some of these players who had it on loan, Jam Jamburek, you know, Iliev, you know, Tracy would have scored a hatch in that one game, but you know, not not players who are ever going to feature up on the very highly on the best loan players we've ever had list, are they? So an absolutely awful transfer window. I think you would have to have some sort of disastrous summer to get anywhere near a bad transfer window this summer. That's probably as that. the worst. Okay. That's definitely the worst transfer window since we've been doing the pod, and probably. No. Still, it's still, it's still not as bad as the seventeen, eighteen January no, transfer window. January transfer doesn't carry. I'm talking about the summer transfer window. <laughs> yeah, summer definitely. Uh, I still, still, still lament that January yeah, one. Yeah, the January one was, the but you can't compare January to summer. The opportunities are not the same. <laughs> but for me, this no, is by far the worst summer recruitment um, for years. Yeah. I've seen people saying what we need this year is a sort of the, the Mickey Mellon summer yeah, transfer I've window when we got relegated to League Two. You know, you've almost got a chance to pretty much start from scratch, you know. And even some of the players who are still at, under contract, like Norburn, like obviously Pike, um, like even, you know, some of the centre backs, there's no reason why we can't go out and get better players than them. And, and, and you know, you know, even be making it that, yeah, all right, Norburn, if you have three or four bad games next season, you're on a bench, mate, and we've got better quality to bring in. Same for one of the defenders who underperforms. I, you know, I, I have no real attachment to any single player in our squad that this season that could not be replaced. Not no. one of them. Maybe I'll better. Yeah, That's it. It's funny you mentioned that. It's a, a similar thought I'd like wanted to mention as well. But I'd say this this transfer window was even worse than Mickey Mellon's um, league one ready players because oh, the difference between that is like yeah for me this is much worse he's this we've been saved this season because we've had Vela which I kept with prefer worse than Sam Ricketts signings but when Adam Henshaw was here um you know Vela mm. Norburn and Pierre you know there and then obviously the players who got in January with um obviously without um without Chapman's goal god knows where we would be and obviously our better's contribution so yeah completely really interesting interesting discussion and actually let's have a discussion now so you're talking about you know you don't care if anyone goes I have no attachment to I don't know what it is whether I'm just like a I don't know just a bit of a miserable git or just got no sentimentality at all but yeah better would be great to see because obviously from our financial benefit but I don't care if we get rid of any players in the summer, like even Sean Worley. I know some people, some people are saying, oh, we've got to keep Sean Worley. Why? Like, okay, he scored, he scored eight goals this season, but he's not an out-and-out striker, um, and then he'll be a year older next year. Um, would you, like, okay, let's put it this way, would you want to pay, you know, um, you know, good, solid League One wages for Sean Worley next year? Sentimentality, I'd like to keep him, and he is our top goal scorer. I think he's still offers something at League One level. My, my my issue is that the only way Sean Wally, Wally's going to stay here is if you offer him a two year deal. He's at the end of his career, and he will want the security of two years. I wouldn't offer him two years. I'd, I'd offer him a year and hope that he finds that he's got his own attachment to the football club, and he could play here at League One level for another year, and it's slightly more attractive than say two years playing League Two football for Tranmere. I don't know. I'd think it'd be incredibly hard to turn that deal down, and that he probably would go. 
So the sentimentality of keeping Wally because of his history with the club, a seventh season, which is pretty rare at this point. He's had some massive moments for the football club. I, I'd like to see him stay, but you know, at a, at a role that is, um, you know, commensurate to where he is as a footballer now, I guess. Um, and Ogbetter, clearly, we've got to keep Ogbetter. And I actually would hope and like to keep Pierre over the course of the season, oh, he's, regardless he's of his injuries. Our best player. He's been. He's been the outstanding yeah. defender, hasn't he? But, you know, and, and, and actually I'd add Ebanks to that. He has some shockers sometimes, but I think Pierre and Ebanks I keep at the back. But Williams, you know, I wouldn't be fussed if he does go now. Um, and, and most of the rest of them, no, I, I wouldn't wouldn't be worried at all. The dough could go, you know, there's there's got to be better quality than some of the players oh, we've yeah. had. And at the end of the day, as much as we had that good run under Cottrell, a lot of that was down to Cottrell, wasn't it? He really got them going, sorted them out and brought some players back up to an acceptable standard of football. But across the 38 games of the season and, and league and, and cup games as well on top, these lads have generally, in 80% of games, underperformed and have not been good enough in this league. And so, why not? Why not go full Mickey Mellon rebuild? Let's let's replace everybody that we can, um, move people on if we can, take that money, reinvest it in, in better things that Keith Burt might have for us and, and just go again completely. It'll re- reinvigorate the fan base as well, won't it? We've got to... We've got to get rid of the long shadow that Sam Ricketts has cost this football club. He's still hovering above us, isn't he? With this long shadow of this, this you know, load of players that are just not good enough. And I think, you know, we really need to kind of sweep the board of it and and, and go again. Yeah, but I, I, I'll be I'll be surprised if we can get rid of some of these players. Obviously, it's going to be fascinating yeah, to see what happens with the the wages where we see wage deflation, so players won't want to lose their contracts because they're not going to get as much anywhere else. So that's going to be fascinating. I would like to keep Josh Feller. I think he offers something. There was an interesting question yeah, just seeing we've off on this tangent now that basically Vela and Norburn but I'm not sure if it's completely true of Vela but definitely true of Norburn that those two in midfield there isn't enough vertical passes to kind mm. of create goals now there's that catch 22 well yeah but you put I don't know uh, you know a, a, a really good number 10 in front of them like I don't know Smodix from Posh and then Anokinabiri up front does that completely mm. change dynamics yeah, maybe it does but still I, I completely see where you're coming from Glenn you know, no yeah. sensibility yeah, for me. I would... And are, are Vela and Norburn, this is my question to you, Glenn, is Vela and Norburn solid enough to, to be a, a playoff um, hunting team? Yeah, you know, in some respects, I would just have one of them, you know, make them be that main man in midfield that drives it on. Um, and Norburn's kind of shown over the years he can't really do that. He can't take control of games at League One level. Vela has done at times. There's been a few performances this season where he has. I, so I agree, I would keep Vela. Um, but if, you know, someone offered us a couple hundred grand for Norburn because um, he's got another year left in his contract and it gave us the opportunity to go out and buy maybe some promising sort of pacey young lads to, to run alongside Vela and give him the legs... I'd be all right with that, to be honest with you. I'd, I'd much rather lose Norburn than I would Vela, which is mad, isn't it? Because yeah. he's supposed to be our club captain, and I don't know. I'd, uh, we've had club captains where fans have fallen in love with them, and they've been that focal point of the club and have stood out uh, you know, for their performances on the field as well as the performances off it. I know the man has been through an incredibly, incredibly tough time over the last two years, and you can't take anything away from that. It's mentally fatiguing I imagine to deal with the horrible things he's had to deal with plus uh, a career that's been you know derailed at times let's be honest about it when his form's been poor um, he's had a hard time and maybe he's the sort of player that needs a change as much as, as the football club does so yeah it'd be a shame because he always wanted it to work really really well for him but I, I just don't think it ever has done I, I, I think he'll be here next year um, and if he's, yeah, if, he's playing, if we get the Norburn that's, um, that Steve Cottrell got going then I'd be happy for him to be here but yeah, you say he's been inconsistent, and yeah, which kind of actually nicely links onto a question from Tom: Why are things consistently good and now they're consistently bad? So I've got a few stats to back this up, Glenn. But should I do the stats first, and then you can come come off the back of well, that? I, I've got a very quick answer for you, Ollie. I think it's what we talked about a few months back, which was 
It was really good, under Cottrell, for an extended period of time because he picked a strong team. He picked it every week. They ran through walls for weeks and weeks and weeks until they got fatigued. Then we had to start making changes. And since that happened, our former's nose died a little bit. And it also corresponded with, with Steve Cottrell leaving the club for his COVID issues. So to me, it's that. It was the, the nice, consistent team selection under Cottrell. We all knew as fans, and they all knew what they were going to do week in, week out. And it worked fantastically for a run of 10 games that saved us. Outside of that, both sides of it this season, it, it's been inconsistent, hasn't it? So, um, yeah. So... The stats, what do the stats say? So, Sam Ricketts, again, this is just a beauty of a stat, points six, um, 0.6 points per game in his 13 games. <laughs> we won one game, we God. conceded 21 and we scored 13. Then Steve Cottrell comes in, 2.14 points per game. In, in those seven games, we scored eight goals, but crucially, we only conceded four so that's what you're talking about, yep. Glenn. That's what you just linked yep. referring to. And it's pretty much the same team yeah, we can work out, was. wasn't it? Yep. Then COVID hit, and then fatigue and all that kind of stuff hit. And then in the, I'd call it the Steve Cottrell work from home period, um, where we've had <laughs> um, 20 games, 26 points, 1.3 points per game, which is basically lower mid-table. Um, we've only we've only scored 23 goals in 23 games, but we've only conceded 23 as well, which obviously can see includes the six we've had this week as well. So, yeah, as you can say, there's been a huge drop-off um, with the manager not being there. Now, there's also now also the players and their contracts kind of going. Um, I was talking to um, um, Pooley Shrew, Andy, Andy Davis, saying that the players will n- probably would normally have known what was going on in their contracts by now, and that's going to have an impact as well. And also, the manager not being there is going to have an impact. Now, mm-hmm. the fascinating thing is, to what extent... I really struggle to understand to what extent a, a player drops his levels a little bit by a manager not being there. But I think the stats are so stark that tells you there is a change. I think there's clearly an extent, though. What that extent is, no. we won't know, will we? But there's clearly an extent. I mean, it's backed up more often than not by them saying, well, they got to speak to Steve Cottrell at half time, and those words at half time invigorated us in the second half. Do you know what I mean? It, it, that's the sort of thing that mean, shows me there's an extent because if Steve Cottrell was there talking to the whole time, surely we wouldn't have had need for these sorts of words and you know, sort of motivating talks at halftime for the manager. He'd be there coaching him through the game. So it's massive and it is unfortunate. While he was here in that short golden period of, of the last, probably the best period of the last you know, two, three seasons when he was here and we were on that winning run, it was amazing and it saved us this season. Those 12 that's points. The only the, good... Sorry, the, the four wins and the 12 points plus the three draws. Um, were were key. Fifteen points in seven games was was massive, and that was it. And that that was the only real good bit of the season, if yeah, I'm brutally honest about it. And um, yeah, so he came in and he did the job really. At the end of the day, that's what he needed to do. And the rest of this has just been a long kind of winding down, hasn't it? Um, with the odd occasional good result, and the, and the more often on more often than not recently, shocking results. So um, yeah, I think that answers the question. I say I, I always thought it was this consistent team team selection, and I agree with the points you made as well. Loads so, of um, factors, that's fine. Loads of factors, but um, yeah, interesting discussion point. Yeah, true enough. We had a couple of last questions, didn't we, Ollie, which we'll, we'll quick, be quick on. We had one from Tubes the Shrew um, saying what realistic targets we would like to see the club go for at the end of the season. So we clearly did this last couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Ollie, where we talked about Pigger and a couple of other players. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. He's chucked in Rathbone, I think is... Uh, Rathbone and Humphreys at Dale. I think you mentioned Humphreys, didn't you, when we talked about it last time. Quigley at Barrow. He was getting on a bit, Quigley, I think. Um, but he's been a good goal scorer at the lower levels and might be one we want to take a punt on. And uh, someone I've seen a lot of town fans mention a few times, because I think he's out of um, favour at Millwall and obviously has been playing championship football for a while, is Tom Bradshaw. I'd be all right with Tom Bradshaw coming back. I, yeah, he'd be, he'd be a good little sign in or something that maybe boost fans up a bit more than a usual kind of uh, striker kind of coming in. So I could get behind most of them, I think, especially Rathbone. He's yeah, Rathbone's um, the kind of. Player that, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, if a top-level 
um, like if a you know, championship club or high level League One club. But if he's free, he's the kind of player that could play in that central midfield role next to Vela and be that real driving forward. I, I love the idea of him playing. He's one of those players that I really don't like. He just he's like a niggly pain in the ass. But if when he's in your team, yeah, you'd bloody love him. Um, and Tom Brad, interesting. You mentioned Tom Bradshaw. He's obviously twenty eight now. People was, obviously Chris Hudson was mentioning about you know you need some of those older pros. In the cl- in the club, he's 28 now, so and he's also from obviously he's a Shrewsbury player as well. So he could maybe yeah, so he is a Shrewsbury lad. He was born in Shrewsbury, so he could offer a little bit that we maybe we lose with Wally. Yeah, no, I'd be I'd be happy with that to be honest with you. Um, and then follow the town added in Matt Miller, but I think we've done yeah. a lot of discussion about Matt Miller this season. I'd probably still yeah, I'd be if we can get him on a cheap yeah. contract, whatever. See how he gets yeah. on, it'd be all right. Be decent. And the last question for this week we had, um, can we realistically expect this squad rebuild that we're looking for? Finances obviously have taken a battering. Can we afford that quality? Uh, and I think that that's a really fair point. We're clearly not going to have the war chest that we've had over previous rebuilds, are we, Ollie? Um, even though we're a slightly bigger club than we were when we were in League Two, um, COVID, the lack of money for season tickets. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting quite how much money we take in from season tickets this summer, isn't it? So can we really afford the quality for rebuild? Pro- probably not for the quality of rebuild that everyone would like to 100% see. You know, we're not going to go out and bring in, you know, 200 grand's worth of our Grant Holtz this summer. But you've got to trust the, the guys we've got in now to see if they can find our better quality, who we're almost certainly not paying a huge amount of money to and was free. They're the sort of players that we're going to be looking for. Yeah, the finances one is key. And, you know, I always talk about this and I always do it in the context of, you know, personal individual financial situation, completely, you know, completely obviously everyone has to make their own decision. But, you know, the, if the club offer us discounts and the club, I've seen some clubs doing shirts and all this kind of stuff. For me, that's money that doesn't go on the squad. And yeah, it's really, really tough and it sounds really cold-hearted, but sometimes you can't be a fan and a consumer at the same time and want to get a refund. Um, so yeah, if you've obviously, you know, you could argue that we haven't definitely haven't got the, the what we expected of our season ticket um, in terms of, you know, the iFollow passes. And interestingly, on iFollow, you know, you just, like, we didn't notice Williams wasn't playing last week. Like, there's no way that Steve Cottrell <laughs> can get the same sense of the game and what notice the details. And as he always talk about, he's a details man. So yeah, so yeah, finance is going to be fascinating. Now I think the the crazy thing is, if it all goes, if the league goes as it does and the teams get relegated, there could be eight teams, Glenn, that used to be in the Premier League, in League One, and I'm really worried that there's going to be this like gulf between the haves and the have-nots. Some of these clubs are just crazily run, like diabolically run, but they'll just throw money or debt at stuff. So you have, could have no loads way, and loads of teams in League One, um, like like Pompey, Sunderland, if they don't go up to um, obviously maybe Derby come down and Wednesday come down and Wednesday are a basket case club. And then they could be spending crazy money and, you know, just have to put in share money and whatever. And then there's teams like Shrewsbury, Gilling and the Stanley who are going to be sensible. And I really were. I really fear there could be a gap. Mm, yeah, I, it hasn't worked out no, that way doesn't. so much in recent years, has it? Um, there's always a couple of them that seem to have a shocking season. Obviously, Bolton could come back up and their ex-premiership, but I wouldn't expect us to be you know, significantly worse off than Bolton after everything but, they've but gone season through. season tickets so and stuff have kind of, got quite a few, haven't they? Yeah, true. But, you know, they, you know, it depends what these yeah. clubs do, doesn't it? If our club doesn't do discounts to take the money in, others might do and they might end up paying for it. So it's a very tricky um, conversation to have. And I think it's fair for us to put our cards on the table and say, look, you know, we, we do a fair bit of stuff for the football club. I help the football club with stats now. Um, and, you know, you do a fair bit of, of sort of, well, I do a lot through the sports department. You, you talk to Brian occasionally about bits and bobs. And, you know, we've been sounded out for our thoughts on plans for season tickets, which are obviously not announced yet. And, and the football club, I will say, are trying their best to 
please and appease fans who might not have felt like they got good value this season and also you know get as many season ticket holders back in that stadium next season to really roar Steve Cottrell back from his illness and, and take us in a, in a positive direction so I'm quite pleased with what they're trying to look at you know these are ideas at the moment nothing's finalised I don't think we're expecting an announcement tomorrow yeah, Ollie, but I think it will be quite I think it will actually be quite soon mate. oh yeah exactly well okay yeah you, you speak to Brian more off the mark but I, I feel like you know there's been some conscious thought as to things they can do as a football club to make sure that we've got a competitive budget and also fans are happy because the last thing we want is a bit more of a competitive budget you know 200 grand extra in the, in the accounts um, and 600 fans to stop coming because they've got pissed off it, that's not what we want we want the nice balance between that and every football club has got to do it differently and some clubs are not offering anything some clubs are being more generous and that's up to every yeah. club no it? definitely I totally agree with that it's, it's really tough tough and yeah if your personal person circumstance and yeah get your money back helps you pay your mortgage one month then yeah to, to right you do what you've what you've got to do um but at the same time um if a fan who's you know i don't know um is pretty well off um let's just make up a guy someone you know he's really well off and he starts whinging that we haven't got a striker but they ask for their refund like that you can't do that that's quite hypocritical there we go. I think we yeah. should wrap this up, Ollie. We've, we've done predictions, really, haven't we? Because we talked about what's going to happen over the next few games, and um, yeah, I well, think we need to do be a, a score bit of just it. so we can carry on with the the, the, yes. the, the, the results for Blackpool. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I said we'd lose to Blackpool. I think we'll lose one nil to Blackpool. It'll be a tight game. We'll probably lose it. Yeah, I think we'll actually lose two nil to Blackpool because they're on a promotion hunt. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we'll beat Wigan in the week as a I think we'll lose. Fine. Wigan on a great run of form, and you love an opposition former striker, Glint. So obviously, um, Lang. Callum Lang is going to score. And also, a player to keep your eye on, Glint. So a guy called Kyle Joseph. So I went on a, uh, a really, really good um, Wigan podcast this morning. I had a really good chat with a, a guy called Barry. Really fun chat. Um, and yeah, they're in a really optimistic place. Interesting, their fans, like he says that he really wants to, he's happy with a boring chairman and not have, you know, crazy, crazy owners in the future. And apparently they don't have that now. But a player to keep your eye on, Glenn, someone who Premier League clubs are sniffing around, is a striker called um, Kyle Joseph, who's come for their youth system. 12, goal, 12 yeah. games this year and five goals. Would, what would you do for a wow. youngster? If Charlie Caton had those kind of numbers, you'd be absolutely ecstatic. You might get him yet, Ollie. Six games left, five goals in six games for Charlie Kane between now and the end of <laughs> the season. That would be amazing. Cash in. <laughs> that would be pretty good. I'd like to see that. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's hard to be too positive after what we've seen this week, but sometimes we've had weeks like this, Ollie, and we've done our predictions well, and we've been way off. I'd love to be a fly well, in the so wall of the... Fingers crossed. Oh, sorry, mate. I'd love to be a fly in the wall of the um, re- debrief um, on, on Monday or Sunday, whenever it is, <laughs> um, because hopefully it would be uncomfortable. Yes, definitely. Oh, well, there we go. Good stuff. Well, we'll be back to talk about these games next week. Whether we're talking about them in depth or not depends on the results. But um, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of all winding down a little bit now, aren't we? So um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to getting these next next few games out of the way. Hopefully, seeing something from the youth players to, to kind of kind of hang a hat on next year and yeah, see if anyone can really stake a claim for a contract. Ollie, that's the next six games. That's what I want to see. Cool. So yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions. Hopefully, you enjoyed us ranting about Shrewsbury Town. And uh, yeah, we'll be again here again next Sunday. Oh!